In the name of Jesus, amen. Sometimes our preconceived notions can distort reality. Our preconceived notions can distort reality. And our expectations can keep us from seeing the truth or recognizing the value in something or someone. So let me give you an example of preconceived notions, things like this, expectations keeping us from seeing the truth or value in something or someone. And this especially is true of children, but it's true of all of us. But I'm going to tell you a story about parents, uh, two parents and, and their child. So these two parents are educators, and as part of their process with their kids and teaching their kids and all these kind of things, they always encourage their child to do his best in whatever he's doing. And so one afternoon, they took him, his name is Kenny, took Kenny to see Henry Matisse's paper cutouts, right? Henry Matisse. Paper cutouts exhibit, and he was five at the time. And he looked a little... He looked a little befuddled by what he saw. You know, well, this is a professional artist kind of thing. And the parents said, what do you think? And he said, well, I guess he tried his best, right? I guess he tried his best. And then there's another story about unrealistic expectations as well, living in a fallen, broken, sinful world. So a mother, again, out has a, has a son, and she's out pruning her, her roses, and all of a sudden she hears this loud thump, and she says, that's never good, right? So she goes to check it out. She ran to find her four-year-old at the bottom of the stairs in the garage, and he had jumped from the top of the stairs to the bottom of the stairs because he wanted to be like Peter Pan. And after a long talk about the differences between reality and make-believe. She walked away feeling that she had gotten her point across. But then things changed just a bit. Well, they changed a lot, actually, because she heard her son whisper, must not have been enough pixie dust. <laughs> yeah, don't try this at home, guys. Now, I tell you that to tell you this. Jesus compares those present during the time of his ministry, during the time of the hearing of what he says today, to children. Children who approve or reject people, things, or ideas based on how they want the world to be. The world should match their expectations. Their way of doing things. Their mood even. And so Jesus says this, right? They should match their mood. Right? I, I was going to use this illustration. I took it out. Maybe I'll put it back in. Some of us might have problems with those people who are really, really cheerful in the morning. Right? And you meet them and you're just like... And they kind of expect you to be that way. Or you expect them to be maybe a different way a little bit more reserved anyway. That's what Jesus is getting at when he talks about the generation that is before him. It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling, hey, we played the flute for you. 
you didn't dance. We played a dirge for you, you didn't mourn. You know, you got to match my mood, my expectation. So what's going on here? Jesus is going to tell these people that their rejection of both John the Baptist and himself as messengers are because both of those individuals do not meet the expectations of the time, how those people envisioned that John the Baptist should be or Jesus should be. And Jesus recognizes that this isn't just a problem for that generation. It's a problem for all people, period. It's a problem for all people, period. But he's talking directly to his hearers, right? He's being very personal. And when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to the things of salvation, our rules... Our ideas, our expectations, our preconceived notions shouldn't enter into it. They don't, (laughs) ultimately. At least in the seeing of these things out in their truth. The things of God belong to God. The things of salvation belong to God. They are part of His plan. Part of His will. So Jesus is trying to get his hearers to let go of some of these preconceived notions and fallen expectations. Why? Because they're fallen. Because they're made up. So what is a reliable source then for them to take to heart? God's word. So people didn't really think much about, at least his audience didn't think much about John the Baptist, but Jesus takes them into the Word of God, especially into the book of Malachi. And, and in Malachi 3.1, we hear, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming says the Lord of armies. And later on, the prophet speaks of the promise in this way. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Right? In reference also to Malachi 3.1. And in this chapter, that's kind of what Jesus lays out. He's trying to tell people that's pointing to John. These things are pointing to John. Now, here's the deal. What do you think of if if the scriptures say, I'm going to send you somebody like Elijah? What do you think of when you think of Elijah? Anybody? Maybe nothing. What comes to mind immediately for me is his showdown with the prophets of Baal, right? Trying to demonstrate who's truly God. And calling to heaven to get fire to come down. And the prophets of Baal fail, but when Elijah calls upon the name of the Lord, right, a consuming fire comes down. Not only the consuming fire, but it, 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 not only a fire, but a consuming fire comes down and takes the whole stones and all the things that Elijah had done. You might think of that. You might think of Elijah about how he was assumed into heaven, right, in a whirlwind, the chariots of Israel, right, the horsemen of Israel. 
You might think of his grand departure that way. You might think of his great works, right? Prophesies a drought. Prayer bring rain. Raises a young boy from the dead. So on, so on, right? We don't really ever hear of St. John doing any miracles at all. This can't be Elijah. This can't be Elijah. No miracles. He wasn't taken by a whirlwind into heaven. They didn't know that yet. No, he was going to be beheaded by Herod. Even before John dies, Jesus speaks this this whole thing of of the violence that's going to happen um, to God's messengers. Right? John is beheaded and Jesus himself will be crucified. So here's the response of this generation to these messengers. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violence take it by force. Yes, John would be dispatched. Jesus also would be killed and crucified. But Jesus is trying to get the people to open up their eyes to God and what he is doing. That John is not just a prophet. He is the one through whom these promises in Malachi come to pass, right? The messenger who prepares the way of the Lord. That's what Jesus is trying to get them to see. The scriptures that they profess to to love and to know, they're happening. The Elijah who was to come is now here among them. And that's why Jesus said, for all the prophets and law prophesied until John, right? Looking forward. But if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Right? That's always important when Jesus says that. Listen up. What great news for them. God was moving from the time of promise to the time of fulfillment. The time of expectation to the time of realization. The time anticipating God's coming to God's coming to be among His people in the person of Christ. And not only do people see see things in, in John that don't seem to match Elijah. They see things in Jesus that bothers them as well, especially the religious elite, right? Some didn't receive Jesus because he welcomed sinners and tax collectors, prostitutes and criminals. And think of you saw me hanging out with some of these people. Or any messenger of God. Oh my, what's going on there? And why does Jesus do this, right? This is, this is one of the things that's often misunderstood. <laughs> it's not out of some need for social justice. It's certainly not based on some sort of woke culture. It was because God loved these individuals and these individuals had thought themselves beyond God's grace. By a lot of the practices that were happening around them and attitudes that were happening around them. This idea that the only way to God is a righteousness of your own making. That sinners could never make their way to a holy God. Which is true. 
But what they failed to realize, a lot of them, was that God makes his way to sinners in the person of our Lord. God makes his way to sinners. He draws near to them, as we talked about last week. He receives them. He forgives them for his sake. Yeah, Jesus didn't just measure up the fallen human expectations. Neither did John the Baptist. Preconceived notions, expectations blocked people from seeing the truth. Distorted reality. But here's the thing. Jesus kind of says it, it really doesn't matter. The reasons people really reject rejected John the Baptist and the reason they rejected Jesus and the reason they still do today is because of a flawed, fallen human judgment system altogether. Jesus points out, John didn't come eating and drinking. Right? He, was, he was what's called an ascetic. Right? Ate honey and wild locusts for crying out loud. And preached repentance, right? Pretty serious guy. And what's the reaction? Well, he has a demon because he does these things. He's an ascetic. When Jesus has table fellowship and eats and drinks with sinners, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. They say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Which is it, guys? Don't follow that guy. He's an ascetic. Don't follow this guy. He's doing these things he shouldn't be, right? I mean, it's kind of like one problem permeates all of human history, even before the fall. What God has to say about himself can always be trusted. That's not the problem. What God has to say about himself can always be trusted. But what we humans think of God as we wish him to be, hope him to be, expect him to be, from fallen, sinful, broken things apart from God's word, cannot be trusted. That's the whole key with Adam and Eve. From today's text, we see the problem at work in the lives of people. And we see it in other times as well. Man's construct of God and who God really is. What man has to say about who God is and what God has to say about who he is. The same thing happened in the time of Luther. Somewhere along the line, the faith that had been passed down from Jesus to the apostles to the church had been compromised. Human reason, human expectation had come to the conclusion Jesus cannot be enough. He cannot be sufficient to bring full forgiveness for God's people. There's got to be other ways. We've got to use other ways. So God's mercy, His grace depended on some sort of human effort or source outside of Christ. Thanks be to God for the reformers who came along. It's not just Luther. There's a lot of other ones too. But for Luther, he was... A professor spent a lot of times immersed in God's word, studying it, teaching it, learning it, right? Professor, the University of Wittenberg. And just noticed some incongruencies between God's word and what was being taught. And the aha passage is what we heard from today for Romans 3. 
But now the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. Apart. The law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned. All have sinned. And all fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified, that is to be declared righteous, by His grace, undeserved favor, as a gift to the redemption, that means the buyback, that is in Christ Jesus. And how does that redemption happen? Whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood, that is Christ's blood, to be received by faith. Although the Reformation happened more than 500 years ago, it is still relevant today. We can take a page, a lesson from Luther and the Reformers to treasure the Word of God, to allow Scripture and Scripture alone to inform, shape our ideas and our faith. God is so magnificent. He is so wonderful. He is so gracious and merciful. And Scripture points that He is those things in Christ and Christ alone that we need to leave our fallen expectations, and preconceived notions at the door. In our generation, opinions, expectations, preconceived notions distort God and His will into a Frankenstein of human invention, a monster of satanic proportions, a twisted creation of our own making. But by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God, through preaching, teaching, devotional reading, God shows us. He shows us who He really is. He opens our eyes and our hearts and our minds to what we really can expect from Him. And in Christ, what we can expect as repentant sinners is His undeserved favor, the righteousness of Christ imparted to us. To be received by faith. To be received by grace alone. That's what we can expect from God according to what He has to say. And that's a great expectation. Because it's based on what God has promised. And more importantly, it's based on what God has fulfilled in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Him be the glory. Amen. And may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.